I'm Corey Astle. And I'm Kyle Salmon. Welcome to Conservative Minds. It's a podcast about conservative ideas and thinkers. We explore what it means to call yourself a conservative, where conservatism has been, where it's going. Each week, we select readings and conduct a discussion to share with you our investigation. Join the conversation by liking us on Facebook or following us on Twitter at ConsMinds, at C-O-N-S-M-I-N-D-S. For episode 94, we read two articles on expertise and trust. And the first one comes from the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal. I have to admit to everyone right away that uh, I'm I'm mostly a huge fan of the Wall Street Journal editorial board, mm-hmm. and uh, I enjoy reading it uh, every day because uh, they have a way of articulating things that really speaks to me, and so I, I like their stuff. And they had this article uh, just before New Year, after Christmas, that I that I thought was, that we thought was pretty good and really addressed a factor that has been on both of our minds, I think, which is the failure of experts. And you might, we might call it the the death of expertise. And so this is called, this editorial they titled The Conformity Crack Up of 2021. And here's the basic idea. They say, this was the year, 2021, when the conformity that characterizes American politics and media was exposed for its mistakes as never before. And by conformity, we mean the progressive political and media consensus that forms quickly around an issue and then reinforces itself no matter the competing arguments or new information. They'll say this isn't a conspiracy in a formal sense because there's not organized calls or Zoom meetings, but it is a shared set of political values and preferences that leads all of these elites in our media to reach the same conclusions about events. So reporters and commentators of major progressive media, the Washington Post, Bloomberg, Financial Times, the New York Times, the Atlantic, and so many more all reinforce what they now like to call the narrative of the story. And I think, I don't know that anyone could disagree with that. Even folks on the left, how could you possibly disagree with that? And, uh, you know, on the, on the, on the right, they call, they would call if, if this were to happen with, with Fox news and OAN or something like that, they would call it, uh, a, uh, a collusion, a conspiracy. But for those of us who are on the right, we just view this as, yeah, this is how the elite media works. <laughs> they all move in, uh, as a herd, you know, they decide together and, uh, you know, it used to be, I guess when you only had four stations or three stations, broadcast networks, they would just announce the news and there it was. And so you, they didn't have to, uh, coordinate with one another. And now, now they do, there's a lot more coordination, especially on Twitter, which, you know, I know that there are a lot of conservatives on Twitter, but it's probably, you know, if we're talking about political Twitter, it's gotta be like 70% progressives plus elite Mm -hmm. media, which are progressives and maybe 30%. There are, there are conservatives on there. But I think, you know, as they said, this isn't a conspiracy in a formal sense where they got together in a Zoom meeting, but it just it, it emerges organically, especially on Twitter. And I, th- I think that we see this every single day. I think so. And I, I really like that they put in the scare quotes the word narrative, because this is kind of what, what bothers me is it makes it, there aren't narratives in real life. You know, that's, 
that's like what a TV show has or a movie has. But that's how I think a lot of people in, in government talk and a lot of people in the media talk as though this is a story. You know, this is not a news story, but like a, a story, like a fable or a tale. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, you know, they're like, well, the narrative. And I hear them saying it explicitly now, like they we always used to talk about this, like, oh, the narrative's changed because, you know, people are concentrating on a different thing. Okay. But that was sort of a metaphor. Now it's, now it's really the way, I mean, back in 2016, I remember on Twitter, people would joke about how the election of Trump, it felt like one of those HBO prestige dramas. And there were so many weird twists and, well, what's this season going to bring? And, <laughs> oh, you couldn't have written it this way. No one would have believed it, you know? And that was, it was good for jokes, you know, but I think people are really looking at this sometimes as, a real narrative and that's it seems just just strange to me it's, it's like they're playing a game you know and they're getting their stories straight you know making it look good for tv making it you know making everything align correctly absolutely like you yeah. like you would do if you were writing one of these sitcoms or or dramas or, or you know the things that that we're all watching you know succession or wheel of time or whatever whatever your show is out there you know it's you know, those things all line up and come together at the season's end because it's because it's fake, you know, but this this sort of just collective thinking and, and wanting to massage this narrative so that it leads to a point and then we can declare victory and then get reelected and everybody's happy. It, it it really just speaks to how fake the whole thing is. Yeah, yeah. So either it succeeds, like you said, or what they the point that they make here is that over time, many of these narratives are proved false and it's that it's at that point where the conformity breaks and he said typically only if there are negative political consequences for democrats and oh my gosh there's so many there's just there's it's just a just a plethora there's so, there's just so many examples and we're going to go through quite a few of them and have a heyday but this i think this is the reason that i personally wanted to do something along these lines for quite a while for you know the last at least several months if not you know last year because we have all these uh, these uh, elite institutions that are that are run by the left that are just so incredibly, fantastically wrong about things. <laughs> and if you uh, if you put if you speak against the narrative, then Twitter's going to ban you. You know you're you're going to be you're going to be called a, a, a fascist and an anti-vaxxer or whatever it is, and uh, and you're going to be they were going to do everything they can to cancel you and to keep you out. And then over time, suddenly, you know, and we're going to have some great examples of this. Uh, instead of saying like, oh, maybe they were right. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe this, and we're, this is the first example we should jump into. The Wuhan Virology Lab origin theory of COVID-19, which I think for me and probably for you, the, and I think for most thinking people, the first time they heard that like <laughs> the, the lab... <laughs> where they study coronavirus is in that same town <laughs> of all places in the world. Like immediately you're like, uh, duh, it came from the, it came from the lab. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but you know, that was verboten, you know, that's racist. No, hundred percent. I mean, that always seems strange to me. And it wasn't until as we found out later that, you know, Fauci and, and the NIA, I, I forget what this agency is called, you know, National Institute of uh, Health Inf Infectious Diseases. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. You know, the other one um, that they coordinated with that lab and did a lot of work with them and did that sort of gain of function research that could possibly pr 
produce a super virus that doesn't exist in the wild, you know, and they have the reasons for doing so. It, it seemed pretty dumb in retrospect, but at the time when these first stories were coming out, people didn't know how much our government was hooked up with that and how much that kind of research was favored by certain people in our government as a way to, you know, sort of get ahead of diseases and make better vaccines ahead of time, which again, didn't happen. But, you know, I, I couldn't think of the reason why there would be a, a conspiracy to hide that truth. And this, in this case, I mean, some of the general themes we were talking about before are not conspiracies. It's just that everyone knows which way the wind's blowing and they say it because it's safe. This one, though, I mean, we've seen in the emails that were declassified and, and or uh, not declassified, but, you know, uh, open records requested. And we see in the, in the stuff with the Lancet publishing that thing, squashing this whole idea of a lab leak theory before anyone even had a chance to investigate. Mm-hmm. All the while, China's stonewalling us, not letting the World Health Organization in, not letting anybody else in. You know, we've got reports of people dying of it months before it was announced and then, but they just won't investigate it. But all of a sudden the consensus was, oh, it can't be so, you know, no, that's just, that's just a conspiracy theory. You can't believe it. And, you know, I, I'm not a conspiratorial person myself. I don't, I usually don't believe in conspiracy theories because, well, for reasons like this, when, if a hundred people are in a conspiracy, it's going to leak. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna, people aren't that clever you know right. somebody's gonna brag about it or somebody's gonna mess up and cc the wrong person on an email and now here it is these guys were you know blocking this inquiry and and doing it you know on their government emails and all their university emails which did in fact leak love it so much yeah it's that's that is really what keeps me believing from believing most conspiracy theories that people are just too dumb to pull it off. And look, even these smart guys, all these scientists who are, are brilliant, they, they can't keep a secret either. Like, like, uh, like Ben Franklin said, uh, three can keep a secret if two of them were dead. Well, there's a lot more than three people who coordinated to squash the lab leak rumors and plenty of them talked or leaked or accidentally got the word out. And now all of a sudden this elite consensus looks, uh, it looks ridiculous. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, so you're t- you're t- you're even just talking about l- when you say that it leaked, you're kind of limiting it to these uh, these scientists who who kind of wrote the paper. But it's really remarkable. Back to the editorials point, Wall Street Journal editorials point that the entire elite media just quickly rallied behind it, right? Just uh, just yep. circled the wagons, got in line, fell in line. No, this is a wet market. No, this came from that from a uh, an infected bat that was probably eaten by a human <laughs> which again how, 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 you know how how that uh frames chinese in in, in a good light it was you know always a head scratcher to me but uh yeah so these uh, so you had these politically driven well i don't even want to say politically driven these uh these scientists were driven by uh saving their own skin because they knew that they had been involved with uh, gain-of-function research, that the NIH had been involved with it, that they'd been funding it, that they'd been working with the, these, this Chinese Wuhan lab uh, studying these, uh, these coronaviruses. And so they didn't want to be implicated. And so they quickly got out there to save their skins. And uh, the elite media and the, and the left, like our, our institutions that are run by the left, just qu- quickly just kind of fell in line. And they didn't need a Zoom meeting to say you do this and you do that. They just sort of, you know, they just they know their roles, so they just jump, you know, jumped in and and fell right in line. And I found that to be just 
maddening, but also fascinating at the same time. So a good friend of mine, he served in a senior position in, uh, in the, the U S embassy in, in Beijing during this time. And, uh, when I saw him, when he was back in America, I said, you know, what are the, what are the chances that this, that the virus came from the Wuhan lab? Is it, is it a hundred percent or just 90%? <laughs> and he laughed and he goes, no, it's a hundred percent. And, uh, all of us, that's how we view it. So the, it's like the entire U S embassy. I mean, I don't want to speak for everybody in there and I'm sure there's somebody who didn't believe it, but you know, who thinks otherwise and had a, had a different view, but you know, it's kind of like we might have asked them, you know, people, <laughs> people yeah. in the embassy, you know, like if I was a reporter, I, I, you know, I'm, I might've thought to ask them or, you know, uh, rather than just like quickly jump behind these guys who, uh, who, you know, it didn't take long, as you said, like the, the truth came out and, and Fauci who sat there and, and, uh, was questioned by Rand Paul and lied to him and said, you know, the U S has never had any involvement in it. He knew that wasn't true. And he just, he just lied. And, uh, and this, uh, this same elite media painted Rand Paul as a baby killer with blood on his hands. And, uh, oh, actually, you know what? It turns out it was right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's interesting is they, they kept that consensus together for a pretty long time. Now, I think in the past when there were, you know, three networks and handful of major newspapers, and that was where your news came from, you might've been able to sort of crush a consensus together and, and, you know, like we talked about in the, I forget which book it was when they were talking about uh, Kennedy and the Bay of Pigs. Now the media all lined up behind them right away. Yeah. And his approval rating went up after yeah. he really <laughs> led a disaster where a bunch of men were killed and the whole mission failed. But you could do that because he was friendly with the press and the press was small. It might have been Martin Gurry's book. I think he talked about this. Um, now here, you can't keep that stuff secret anymore, but they still act like you can and I, I think a lot of people on the left never really heard anyone serious that they respected saying this until John Stewart did about uh, maybe beginning of this year. Yeah, yeah. Or beginning of last year, I should say, now that we're in 2022, um, when he was on Colbert and he made a joke about like something like if there was a chocolate virus and it originated in Hershey, <laughs> you know, where do you think it would come from? And Colbert was super uncomfortable. Right. You know, yeah. he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to look like one of the other team. You know, he doesn't want to look like one of us, you know, and, and, and sully his reputation. But, you know, it's tr people cheered because it's true. I mean, it, it's so obvious. And that, you know, I mean, the average guy didn't know that there were only three laboratories in the world that do this kind of work, and one of them's in Wuhan. You know, when this thing came out, we—I didn't know that. You know, and you didn't know that. But yeah. once that fact became known, it seems sort of crazy to try and keep it down. I mean, <laughs> I, you, you use the phrase uh, "death of expertise," which was, was Tom Nichols's book from 2014 or 2015, uh, sometime around then, and it was just about how you know the rise of populism and the fact that people are ignoring people who actually know what they're doing and it's terrible. But, uh, I think events like this show us that the experts aren't necessarily as expert as they say they are. Yeah. They, you know, and, and things like this show just the, I mean, if, if after these many monumental failures, they still want us to say, no, now see here, look at my resume. I, I'm, I'm the expert, son. You better, you better listen up. That, I mean, that takes a lot of arrogance you know, yeah. after, after so many screw ups and, and so many like 
not even screw ups, just deliberate misinformation fed to the American people. Like we're supposed to believe you just just because of you know this PhD or this textbook that you wrote. It, it but they keep they keep going for it, and I don't, know, I don't want to spend the whole episode on the on Wuhan, but you know because there were a lot of other things in these articles. But there, I think that one was probably example number one of why people are losing trust because the trust has been abused. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And actually, in full disclosure, you know, you and I looked at that book, uh, Death of Expertise, as a potential reading for for this topic. But as we kind of got into it, it's like, oh, what they're saying is that the experts are right. Yeah, <laughs> and the right. death is that uh, the, un, the, uh, the unlearned masses are just don't believe it. And I'm kind of like... He's missing the point there, friends, yeah. because <laughs> the experts are actually wrong a lot. But let's move on to the next one that, uh, that the editorial board at Wall Street Journal names here. Lockdowns stop COVID-19. He's, they say there was no fiercer consensus in the early days of the virus than the belief that locking down the economy to stop the virus was an unadulterated social good. Now, two years later, we know that most lockdowns, they say, at most delayed the spread. So, I mean... <laughs> There, there are people who, uh, let's just call it the entirety of the left, basically, who's, who still think that the lockdowns were the right move. And I promise you that if, if Biden thought he could get away with it politically, he would lock it down again, just like a lot of these European countries, just like New Zealand. You know, we're on day 1,000 of 15 days to slow the spread, you know, 15 days to flatten the curve, three, you know, two full years later. But I mean, there's, there's just nothing but evidence to show that the only thing the lockdowns did was just delay the inevitable. And, you know, the virus was going to spread. And, uh, you know, now we know, and we'll talk about this later probably, but uh, the, uh, I think we, we knew then, but now, so it's not to say that we know now. We knew then, but we're finally, ad- the elite media is finally admitting it to themselves that even if you're vaccinated, you're still going to get the disease. <laughs> so, yeah. so like locking the, locking the, the economy down, the only rationale, the only reasonable rationale for doing that was to say, our hospitals are overrun. So we just need to slow the spread. Everyone's, it's still going to spread, but we're going to, we're going to try to flatten the curve, like they said, so that, you know, as people are going to get sick, but we're not all going to get sick at the very same moment and, Mm -hmm. and flood the hospitals. That was the original rationale, but then that quickly moved to no, we need to stay in concrete bunkers for the rest of our lives and, and, and flee. And, and if you, you know, if you follow this virtuous, uh, you know, these virtuous guidelines given us to us by, uh, Dr. Fauci and the CDC, then, you know, you will be spared, you know, like, uh, like, uh, pu- uh drawing a, uh, put, putting blood on the, on the posts around the door, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're passed over by the, by the, by the ghost of death. And, you know, I, I think, there was still that idea that if you behave virtuously, you will not be harmed uh, until like last month when every journalist in New York and DC got it. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, wait. oh maybe, maybe all this stuff doesn't matter. <laughs> you know? And and it's, I mean, yeah, you're right. If it had been two weeks and it, I, 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 that's not a bad argument. you know? I mean, if they had done what they said and said, well, look, we just need to spread out the people getting it so we don't get overwhelmed. That, that makes sense. I yeah. mean, hospitals are overwhelmed right now and it, it sucks, but you could never, I mean, if they announced again, oh, we're just going to do it for two weeks, everything locked down, nobody would believe them because, no. they, burned, <laughs> because they burned all their trust. You know, Not at just all. like when they said, just like when they said, don't buy masks because you don't need them. What they really meant was, 
uh, we need those masks for the hospitals, so we got to tell people not to buy them. Obviously, they do something. Like yeah, the real, yeah. The good ones, you know, the the ones doctors are using in the surgery. Like, well, yeah, of course they they do something. That's why doctors wear them when they're in the surgery. Um, but they told us don't use them, and then a month later, like, look, everybody has to wear them. You know, it's in fact, it put two of them on. But yeah, yeah, this is like this. This was Fauci's first. Uh, it was the noble lie, the first lie that he mm-hmm. told, and he thinks it's for some reason he thinks it's uh, it's uh, his prerogative to, you know, we can't handle the truth, right? It's the scene mm-hmm. from from uh, uh, Jack Nicholson. You know, you can't handle the truth, so we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna go ahead and shade it in a ways, and because you know the noble lie, and you're like where the arrogance of that and where do you yeah. get off to? i don't know yeah even i mean even if our our president who we elected chose to behave that way that's not appropriate behavior for a republic but here's some bureaucrat who nobody elected right you know <laughs> just saying well i'm gonna just lie to the american people and and then expect them to still listen to me afterwards even when it's exposed which again in our diverse media landscape it's going to be exposed you know you can't the noble lie was always, it's always hard to keep a big lie a secret, but that one, you know, now that people on both sides have media now and TV stations now and and newspapers now, it's going to, people are going to look into this. It's going to get investigated. Somebody's going to tell. And they did. And again, so we come back to trust. How do you expect to have it when you lie, get caught and then don't even repent? Right. (laughs) They don't even feel bad. (laughs) And uh, and you know it would be funny, except uh, the damage that it caused, especially to the children who lost time in education. And you know, you and I have talked about this multiple times. Our our, our kids suffered, but honestly, our kids suffered to, to n- nowhere near as much as those who are already uh, less well off. You know, less fortunate, mm-hmm. whose you know parents you know needed to, needed to get to work, and they uh, their parents are essential workers. And they have to go to work. And so they're probably staying home with a grandma or a really old aunt or something who in, in many cases may not even, you know, at, for, for some families, immigrant families may not even speak English. And how are they going to get you, get the kid connected on online and everything? I mean, we saw the tons of this in our, in our neighborhood and I just, I just feel like it's so wrong. The kids, you know, the businesses that, uh, that went under, I mean, the, the, the restaurants that tanked, people's uh, livelihoods that just you know went down the drain because 15 days to slow the spread became two full years and and counting you know to slow mm-hmm. the spread so there, there's real damage in the wake of all this too yep and that kind of brings us back to some of the lies that i think first made people distrust media even before all this and they, they mentioned the steel dossier for one thing the and the russia collusion now i mean you don't hear much about russia anymore but when it does come up, it's it's sort of to the point that, you know, after the Mueller report came out, that all these shadowy connections that were supposedly happening turned out to be a lot of imagination, a lot of fabrication, and a lot of it being pushed by the DNC, you know, to you know, from the from the day after election day, just as, you know, continuing the election by other means, trying to trying to bring down the president who, you know, whatever else you think of him did win the election and, you know, it, it, it just that sort of undemocratic and again unapologetic you know if, i mean they mentioned the the uh the editorial board mentions one one or two of the gullible have apologized but most want to forget what they wrote want everyone to forget what they wrote or what they said at the time 
It's true. Nobody's walking it back, even after it all turns oh, out yeah. to be crazy, you know, tissue paper thin conspiracies that don't survive, you know, the first poke from, you know, the first prod from a, a, an investigative mind. So after all that comes out and it just disappears, like we don't talk about it anymore. Don't worry, we've, the narrative has moved on. <clears throat> I mean, how do you expect people to maintain the trust in in that that same group of, of, of media and political elites. I mean, the entirety of 2017 and 2018 and much of 2019 on CNN and MSNBC was dedicated to Russia collusion, the Mueller report, Steele dossier. I mean, it's just, it reminds me of the Valerie Plame, you know, mm-hmm. uh, buying uh, yellow cake plutonium from niger you know back in uh back in the mid 2000s or whatever it's just it's a nonsense story that's just not believable Here, here's the thing that i don't i've never understood and i had some never trump friends of mine uh you know just who, who are just look so, some people can be never trump and then others are just like frothing at the mouth never trump and i, I had <laughs> I, have, I had yeah. friends in that camp and they're telling me like this all this stuff's going to come out it's going and i'm like uh, so on the one hand, you're telling me that you think Trump is a complete bumbling fool who uh, who can't uh, walk one step, one foot in front of the other. Yet he has his master plan to collude with Russia and, <laughs> and take over America. I mean, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. I mean, to me. Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out Mueller, uh, you know, after millions of dollars are spent, he comes out and basically says, yeah, there's nothing. We got nothing. And uh, and the Democrats and and uh, the the elite media and our uh, these elite institutions that that are experts and everything are just left with their mouths open. Like, wait, what just happened? And the Steele dossier, we don't have to go down this path because it's you know it's it's convoluted and not super interesting. But at the end of the day, like basically the bottom line was, the Steele dossier came from Democratic operatives, some of whom have now been indicted. <laughs> so so the the whole story of. Uh, you know, tr- Trump peeing on a couple of prostitutes in uh, in Moscow or something, which was always complete nonsense. And who would believe such such BS? I, I never understood it. Of course, it's nonsense. Of course, it wasn't true. You know, I mean, it's it's wild. But you know, when this is running on the the mainline broadcast networks every night, you know, MS, you know, not just MSNBC, but NBC and CBS, and ABC, and it's the Steele dossier, and it's the Mueller report, and it's Russia collusion, and all this is going to come out. And now, you know, like, okay, so that that all fell through and uh, crashed and burned in epic fashion. So now all we hear about is how the Trump organization is getting investigated, and there's going to be indictments any day now. But yet, uh, Cy Vance, who was, the, <laughs> who was the prosecutor, he just moved on to something else. And, uh, and it's like, there's nothing there, okay? Like, look, th- these, these are just, th- this is like the 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 hopes and dreams and fantasies of the left that, that Trump is going to be taken down in some epic fashion. It's going to be shown like, Oh, uh, the Trump organization is totally corrupt and, and uh, in cahoots with, uh, with Putin. And now we've got you. And none of it comes. I mean, it's just, it's their hopes in, in their dreams. None of this is going to come to fruition. It's, it's funny. You talk about the scooter Liberty and Valerie flame thing. Cause that it's a, it was the same vibe back then that, you know, they, they would say, George W. Bush is an idiot. He, he would have never got into those schools except right. his dad. You know, he he's an idiot. He's bumbling. But he's also 
running this vast conspiracy to suppress our democracy, you know. And, <laughs> and it was yeah. even back in the day that um, they say the same about Reagan, you know, that he's always oh, senile, he's an old fool, you know, he's he's an actor, he doesn't know anything. But also, you know, the Iran country, he knew about every detail of that. He was, yeah. he, he organized it. He was selling yeah. arms. You know, there was actually an SNL sketch years ago, I think, with Phil Hartman playing Reagan, where he would. He had kids in the Oval Office, and he's a oh, bumbling old grandpa. I want some jelly beans. And as soon as they leave, he's pulling down the charts. Look, we're going to move them. <laughs> you know, but that's, I think that's how they, they think of it. And that's how they thought of Trump. You know, like, oh, he's obviously a buffoon, but he's clever. <laughs> I, I don't know. How do you hold those concepts in your mind? Uh, you'd think after doing this same morality play enough times you'd realize it doesn't work but I, I guess it i guess it plays i guess it sells and it makes people well it definitely like sells it. i mean they're definitely getting the clicks that's something i've learned over mm-hmm. the past you know several years because here here we are uh biden has been president for a year and he has what maybe a tenth maybe 10 percent the number of uh, of headlines that trump still gets <laughs> trump's mm-hmm. not even on he's been kicked off of social media and every, i mean there's no end to it it's like these guys are just when it comes to the new york times and especially the washington post but all of these liberal outlets all these mainline uh elite uh media outlets it's it's a heroin a- uh, addiction you know like they 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 have to keep going back to trump i mean if you watch if you take a look and you know sadly i do but the the, uh, uh, the the columnists and the all of the op-ed pages uh, at the New York Times. I mean, nine out of ten of them are, you know, Trump. Trump still and and his people are still uh, threatened democracy and whatever else. It's like mm-hmm. it's like this 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 never-ending fear porn of uh, either Trump or uh, or COVID. I mean, nonstop. Yeah, I mean, and you saw it in the in last year's gubernatorial elections, but in Virginia and in New Jersey, all, all the Democrat candidates would talk about was Trump because Trump had lost those states both pretty badly. So they thought, well, if we just talk Trump enough then and say that these Republican candidates are just tied in with him and, and that they're the same as him. And I think the voters were sick of it too. I mean, clearly they, they weren't listening to it in Virginia and the, Democrat governor of New Jersey only re- won re-election by one percentage point, and that's that was a shock to everybody. Yeah, but I think, but they keep going to that playbook. I think for the same reason the networks do is it gets attention. It's like, hey, you you guys hate him, right? Yeah, I hate him too. Yeah, you know that's. But he's out there in Florida doing his own thing. He, you know, he's he's not on the ballot, and I I, I honestly don't think he will be again. Who knows? I mean, I didn't think he'd be nominated the first time, so I. I'm not the best one to make predictions, but it is an addiction. You know, it's, I mean, CNN never did better and MSNBC never did better than when he was on, when he was calling in the morning Joe every day. And I, yeah, they just, either the, I think a lot of them believe it. It's, it's not, I don't, I hope that it's not a matter of sitting down in the editorial meeting and say, yeah, we've got to talk about this more because that drives the clicks but I, I think they believe it and you know when you when you have success with a certain thing you tend to think it works but it, it does just drive this conversation it feels increasingly out of touch yeah. with what's actually going on i mean it may it just to, to me it conjures up the the image of i guess new york times readers like just 
a San Francisco tent city where they're just like, I need more, I need more, I need more, I need more. And so they're like, okay, here you go. Here's more to click. Here's more to click. <laughs> you know, just never ending yeah. when it comes to Trump. All right. So one, uh, one other issue that, uh, that I think we'll have plenty to talk about. Editorial board says vilifying police won't affect crime. They said the fast congealing consensus after George, George Floyd's murder was that most police were racist as was most of American society, and violent protests against these were justified, even admirable. And woe to anyone who pointed out that the victims of these riots and crime were mostly poor and minority communities. So police funding was cut, bail laws were eased in many cities. 18 months later, we see the result in rising crime rates and a soaring murder count. I mean, literally, nearly every city in this country, every large city has is is at above or you know at or near the the highest murder rates in their history mm-hmm. <laughs> meanwhile today uh you know I, I think it was in the new york times I, that could have it could have been a washington post article but anyway there's another article saying like we we've studied the data and it looks like the reason there's more there's more murders is because there's more guns you're like, oh my god! Oh, one note, come on, dudes! <laughs> yeah, that's not even that's not even remotely believable. We 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 cut, we absolutely slash funding for police. We vilify them. They start to leave, right? They leave the force. And they're like, I, I don't. This this is not the profession for me. If I'm going to be hate, put my life on the line and be hated and reviled, you know, like so. Uh, what what incentives do police officers in big cities have to to stick around and get treated like like uh, something you stepped in outside? While at the mm-hmm. same time, like you know, it's a I don't want to say it's like war, but you're certainly you know you're you are willing to stand and be like uh, be the front lines uh, in, yeah. of Amer- uh, on American uh, crime, and uh, you know we we've seen it we've seen the example of so many cities have already backtracked on that. You know, Minnesota just had their vote, um, Minneapolis, and uh, the city voted, and the uh, African Americans voted overwhelmingly <laughs> to uh, to not reduce uh, police funding, and in fact, start to uh, you know increase police funding. So, I don't know; it's amazing. But again, back to the back to the central point of of this editorial the the speed and just you know absolute efficacy with which the uh, the elite media just circled the wagons on this and and still won't let go frankly i mean they're 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 still not letting go even though you know p- voters let go a long time ago you know they they were just as uh, appalled and shocked and saddened by the uh, the George Floyd murder as anyone else in america but over time you're like yeah but i still want my uh my my neighborhood to be policed cuz i don't want to be attacked i don't want to be the the victim of, uh, of crime in my own neighborhood. You know, I want to have safe streets. There's nothing. I, I think there's very few things that, uh, human beings want more than just safety and, and not having to fear for their lives in their own neighborhoods. Yeah. I, I think people have always worried about crime and even as crime was on the way down, didn't people didn't always recognize that, but now that's rising and rising so steeply. I, I fail to see how there anything could be a bigger issue in America right now is the fact that, you know, like in, in, in my hometown of Philadelphia, we had 277 murders in 2016. We had more than twice that many five years later We had 562 last year. Wow. wow. So that's a, that's a record by a lot. And I mean, guns, we had guns in 2016 too. <laughs> they, they didn't just invent the gun. Like, 
criminals have had them. Uh, they used to just get locked up for longer terms or at all. They used to not be able to get out on bail as easily. And yeah, there used to be more police activity because I, I mean, like I, I saw one, one chart from, from Seattle that was talking about, you know, the number of times police have investigated a, a crime and it was, you know, the line of, you know, based on 911 calls or other, you know, citizens saying that something was wrong that stayed steady but police investigating things on their own initiative just like seeing something and going to check it out had plummeted uh, yeah. and, and i think that's just that that's just the morale thing when you say well look they they don't want us here they keep saying all these things about us they don't want us around uh, well well it's a morale bother. thing but in in other in other jurisdictions like san francisco they say basically if it's if it's worth less than 900 bucks or something then you you know no arrests don't make the arrest yeah so, so it's, yes. it's basically a free, every, it's 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 a it's a coupon for everyone, every criminal in the city. Like, go ahead and you know, just come back tomorrow, and you can get another nine hundred bucks worth or whatever. What I don't know what they thought would happen with that. I mean, yeah, you you're not going to have any penalty against you if you steal under a certain amount. Well, then people, not everyone, but a lot of people are just going to steal that amount as often as they can because why not? I mean, it's it's it's. If you don't have, if you're already a criminal, if you already don't really care about laws or about treating your fellow man correctly, then yeah, you're just saying, all right, it's like the purge or something. It's like the laws don't apply now, you know, go ahead. It's it's a bizarre sort of mindset that says there's not going to be anyone who adjusts his behavior based on that. But yet again, these are, these are our experts and uh, I'm sure they've studied the issue pretty hard and you know, maybe wrote a thesis on it. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're meant to believe them. Uh, well, in the last three minutes, should we say a word about this other article? It's called, uh, this was in the Washington Times. Most experts have lost the trust of the American public with good reason. This guy, Jeff uh, Bergner, he says, distrust of our leaders, the press and experts seems to be running high these days. So uh, in other words, making the, the opposite, saying that uh, because of all we just talked about, distrust, has just increased dramatically, and he he has he also has some great examples. You know, Republican national security experts predicted a host of national security calamities would occur if Donald Trump were elected president, and none of those happened. You know, you hear you heard Trump out of his own mouth over and over again, basically pretty anti-war, and yet there is still just this: we're going to go to war any minute. We're going to go to war any minute. You're like. I don't think so, you know, and of course it never happened, you know, and yep. uh, what is he, here's, here's another one. Um, uh, a letter signed by the intelligence community experts said that Hunter Biden's laptop was, was a sure sign of Russian disinformation, you know, had all the markings of clear and uh, Russian disinformation, which of course it was not, it was totally Hunter Biden's laptop and all the stuff on it, and we're just going to pretend like it didn't exist. You know, he admitted it. <laughs> he admitted himself. Yes. And so, not to beat, not to continue to beat the COVID, but this one, this is the one. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is the one where I was like, "That's it." You know, you can't trust these guys at all. Public officials banned all large outdoor gatherings for for health reasons, for COVID reasons, but exempted the Black Lives Matter protests from the ban. You know, how, how how can you even say that with a straight face? And yet they all did. They all coordinated, you know, not just the elite media, but all these epidemiologists that uh, that were screaming that the world was coming to an end, that, you know, 
Trump had blood on his hands and uh, for uh, for holding an outdoor event with uh, without masks on at the at the White House. But yet it's totally fine if you're uh, if you're protesting for the right virtuous things, you know, that then then, the, you know, the virus is like, oh, well, geez, I mean, <laughs> got to hand it to you guys are doing the right thing. So I'm just going to hang out over here until you're done. You know, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's obscene. It, it is. And it, it really it speaks to that same thing that the Wall Street Journal editorial board was talking about, about just that quick setting consensus. Once that consensus was set, that these were good protests, not riots at all good cause everybody was doing okay and if there was a little rioting don't worry about it nobody's getting hurt they're insured blah 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 once that consensus came into effect then none of these people were going to be the ones to speak against it nobody was going to be the one to stick his head out and say "Eh, you know viruses don't know why you're protesting (laughs) it's the same as going to a college football game which we banned right same thing (laughs) you're outside with a bunch of people you don't know you know but it's just that I think people, I think there used to be more contrarians uh, on the left. And, you know, sometimes on the right, too, I think we get a little too in our own lane. But I think it's more of a problem on the other side. And, like, there used to be people, you know, you'd read, like, uh, Christopher Hitchens, who was, uh, you know, I disagreed with him often. But I always found his writing interesting because he was saying something different than what everyone was saying. Yeah, yeah. He didn't go for consensus. Or uh, Camille Paglia, too. Who is, yeah, yeah. You know, she's got some out there ideas, and she's definitely, I mean, uh, a socialist, uh, a Marxist. But sometimes she disagrees with other Marxists, which is something that Marxists used to do frequently. I mean, there's still like half a dozen communist parties in America, all of them with about 100 people in it, because they don't <laughs> agree with each other. You know, like that was a thing. You could do that. It, it wasn't. There wasn't any sort of pressure. I mean, everybody wants everyone to agree with him and his own ideas, but it wasn't this idea that like you were out if you disagreed on any point. And yet, that's that's sort of what we see here. And it's it's not a it's not a government force. It's not it's not even coordinated really. It's just about just wanting to be in the elite society, wanting to be respectable and get all the applaudits and the retweets and 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 the likes and and. Everyone can say, "Oh yeah, this guy. He's he he thinks the right way. You know, he's 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 one of us. He's one of the good guys." And that's sort of like elite tribalism. It's it it it, it strangles discourse. So you get absurd things like that. They say, "Oh, don't don't gather together even outside." Oh, but for that, yeah, it, it's it's fine. The, you know, the virus is also anti-racist, so it won't bother. <laughs> It's it's crazy, and it just really speaks to why so many people have turned their backs on establishments and institutions that they would have once trusted. Yeah, I mean, uh, so the, I mean, uh, the left will always claim that they are the party of science and believe in the science, and and yet, you know, the the CDC is finally admitting the inefficacy of masks. Like, if you're not wearing an N95, then you're basically just not doing any good at all. Like the normal mask people, the normal people wear, I mean, have, have very little efficacy, you know, like the vaccinated we were told couldn't more or less get COVID. Now it's pretty clear that they can. And I think it was always clear that you could, but, uh, you know, like we just, we just get these messages over and over and over again. And, uh, and it has very little of anything to do with science and everything to do with uh, coordinated like thought control and thought police and we certainly have this on the right. There's no, there's no doubt about it. There, are, there are subjects where that are that are taboo, and you put yourself at risk if you 
um, you know, if, if, if you question and at some point we should probably address those too, but, mm-hmm. but, uh, those are, those are a little bit more intramural. These, these, what we're talking about today are just, this is the consensus that's been decided by the, the cultural and media and power institutions in America that are all run by the left, you know, whether it's, whether it's the media, whether it's these, uh, uh, science societies or, uh, Hollywood or, you know, the, you know, what, what have you, the, the people who, who control used to control, completely control the narrative and now can only control the narrative when they coordinate with one another. That's my final thought. What, what's yours? Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll just maybe to zoom out a little, I think it's, it's a problem in, in the society that governs itself. In a, in a republic, we need free speech. We need debate. We need the exchange of ideas. And I don't just mean free speech as in the government will arrest you if you say the wrong thing, because that's not happening. We do have free speech from the government. But when you when you create a system that just stifles debate completely, you're you're harming yourself as a republic because, you know, if it were a dictatorship that did that, it would be wrong but it wouldn't affect the dictator's ability to govern because he's just going to do what he wants to anyway. Mm-hmm. But here we're in a society where we're supposed to elect our leaders. We're supposed to elect our representatives who, who win those elections based on these debates, based on, on what people think and what they reason together as, you know, the, the policy should be for the nation or for the state or for whatever jurisdiction. If you don't have that debate, then you're not electing the leaders in, in the way that makes a republic work. And and then when they fail, as they have consistently done over the past few years, it makes people doubt the republic itself. But what the, the, the problem is not the people, the voter, or, or the republic. It's the idea that they're not getting the information because no, everybody's just choosing to self-censor. Everybody's shutting up mm-hmm. because they don't want to be that one. You know, it's, it's like one of those Eastern proverbs, like the nail that sticks up is hammered down. That used to be something that was antithetical to America. Like, no, I will stick up. I I don't care what, I don't care who's hammering. Now people don't, you know, don't want to make waves. It's like that, that sort of ossifying elite that claims to be meritocratic, but is sort of really just self-perpetuating. Nobody wants to get kicked out of that, but we need people who are brave enough to say something different and even if they're wrong we should at least talk about it we should talk it through and if we don't have that if we have this just hardening consensus around every issue it's going to drive us into ruin as a republic because a republic a republic needs debate and the exchange of ideas to live well said buddy all right that's it for episode 94 catch us next time